episode number 55, Sports Mystery Podcast. I am Brad Barmore. Hi, Brad. <laughs> that way down on the other end of the table is Mr. Ben Perry. We're going to have to like hold up our camera phones and simultaneously snap the photo. Hey, we need like a panoramic camera. That so, would like, be great. get all of us. Yes. Well, wait, all of us? That sounds like a fat joke. Uh, it's not a joke. It's a declaration on both of our current sizes <laughs> and the length of this table. True, true. At least it's the big table makes us look petite. That's Yeah, that's a good that's point. What, that's what I'm going with. That's a good point. Uh, episode 55. When we started the 50s episodes, I said, man, are we going to have a lot of linebackers to choose from? And we've had a basketball player, two baseball players, and one linebacker through the first, fi- first uh, five, 50 through 54. Uh, well, you know... What are you going to do? It is what it is. You thought I thought the same thing. I thought this was going to be a linebacker debate. Well, if you listen to our football uh, predictions before this particular season, we don't get a lot about football correct, so this shouldn't be any surprise yeah. to anyone. No, 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 no. Uh, episode 55 comes down. Uh, honorable mention, just so that we're discussing it, uh, Dikembe Mutombo, War 55, uh, Hall of F- NBA Hall of Famer, or I should say Professional Basketball Hall of Famer, Dikembe Mutombo. Also hilarious in all those Geico commercials. <laughs> Uh, the Oral of Hershiser with his 50-whatever-inning uh, scoreless streak. Uh, he won a Cy Young, a World Series, Gold Glover, three-time All-Star. He's also honorable mention. And his name is Oral. His name is Orel. Orel Hershiser. Also not one, one of the least attractive gentlemen to grace the uh, baseball reference website. I can promise you that. <laughs> Uh, but it came down to two guys, basically. Uh, two one, guys. One outside linebacker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Mr. Derek Brooks, uh, and one outside linebacker for the Chargers, Dolphins, and New England Patriots, Mr. Junior Seau. Uh, it came down to a couple things here. They have very similar uh, career tracks, very similar career statistics. Derek Brooks, Super Bowl champion, something that Junior Seau was not. Uh, 11-time Pro Bowler, Junior Seau, uh, 12-time Pro Bowler. Uh, 5-time first-team All-Pro for Derek Brooks. 8-time first-team All-Pro for Junior Seau. 4-time second-team All-Pro, Walter Payton, Man of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, All-Decade Team, Retired Number, Tampa Bay. Uh, that's Mr. Derek Brooks, Junior Seau, Defensive Player of the Year, Man of the Year, All-Decade Team for the 90s. Also has his number retired by the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, both had very nice college careers, although you could argue that Derek Brooks a little bit stronger. We're dedicating this. Where did that, where did Brooks go to college? Uh, he is, let's look it up real quick, Florida State Seminoles. Won a national championship there, actually. Oh, Nice. Uh, Pac-10 Defensive Player of the Year for uh, Junior Seau went to the University of Southern California where he had to sit out his freshman season due to a whopping 690 SAT score on the college entrance exam, uh, which is 10 points short of USC's very stringent minimum score for freshman (laughs) eligibility. (laughs) If Reggie Bush could do it, Junior Seau could not. That speaks volumes to... Uh, Don't you get... 400 points for putting your name on the test or something like that uh yeah i don't know so it's never, something crazy something crazy i didn't even think i took my sats uh well you, then you didn't get the 400 points for putting your name on it no that's i can guarantee you that so is it really my place to talk shit about Seau not passing his when i didn't even take the test yeah maybe because you didn't fail <laughs> <laughs> true i would have done better than him uh Yes, excellent. <laughs> and in any case, I think we're going. We're we're dedicated to Junior Seau. I, I jokingly said that ah, everyone cares more about him because he killed himself. There's more intrigue in his life with his kids from different moms and girlfriends and brothers getting drunk at his restaurant. And That's all the that, best. All that kind of stuff. Every person I know that lives in San Diego always talks about. They're like, I'm like, oh Seau's. I'm like, I get. I don't really want to eat there. You know, it's uh, it's Seau. It's the whole thing. Yeah. And everyone's like, yeah, you don't want to eat there. His brothers are there, and they're usually really drunk, and they pick fights with everybody at the bar. And I'm like, every night, they're like, every night. They they drink up a bill and don't pay it, and he says, ah, oh, it's my brother. It's fine. Jesus. <clears throat> but I will I will give him this. This is a little bit of 
information you probably won't read on the uh, on the World Wide Web. Uh, Junior Seau was uh, directly involved with my former employer, Mr. Ron Fowler, who owns the Padres. Uh, they were heavily invested into. Uh, they basically took a military application for concussion. Mm-hmm. Gra- you know, raging or uh, raging, uh, grading the level of impact. Yep. It was a uh, a small thin membrane inside of a helmet for military. They they helped fund and develop that with the intention of it going into football helmets. Really? Right. Interesting. They came to a screeching halt once he put a Mossberg to his chest. And you know what actually you know what actually happened? That technology is being applied to uh, auto racing. I believe it. They're using that in a lot of the auto racing cars. Yeah. So they auto were they circuits. teamed up on that, and of all the. All the years, you know, uh, my Mr. Fowler liked to uh, kind of flex his celebrity muscle, and we got, um, we had uh, uh, Bill Walton came in and talked to the group, mm-hmm. right? Got him down there. The next person in line that was supposed to come was Seau. Really? Yes. And then he obviously his life he ended. His, he did his thing, yeah. Um, but it was one of those things where I, I was jokingly, I was going to wear a Raiders jersey. And just skull fuck them the whole time. Yeah, that would have ended. I'm sure positively for I'm you. Totally, yeah. And that's you know, you know, the guy's doing it on his own time, own dime, coming up and talking to people does a favor. And you got these morons just raided out. <laughs> oh, anyway, no. that's my that's my uh, my junior sale moment right there. But he was as much as I, you know, a, a lot like. Bill Romanowski, when you know he was a Bronco, I hated him. He came to the Raiders. I loved him. I'm sure if Seau flipped, I would probably be in love with him as well. But he never did, so I can't say that I love him. But he was hell of a player. You have to give him that. That is. Uh, and with those big yeah. nostrils, I'm sure he could do epic amounts of cocaine with Michael Irvin. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it's it's weird. It's weird to look at like the guy's career and be able to put it up against somebody whose career might have been better or at least on the same plane. And then you just sort of by default give it to him because it's like, well, he put a shotgun into his own chest. But I think that that speaks. It's sort of a watershed moment for the NFL and for football in general. And that's why he ultimately gets the yes the nod here, I would say. Derek Brooks. A phenomenal candidate. Were it, you know, most other people going up against him, I would say that he probably wins this. But the other tiebreaker, forget about the shotgun thing. The other tiebreaker is that Junior Seau was uh, the anchor of a defense that gave up 49 points to my San Francisco 49ers so they can suck a dick in the Super Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, episode 55, Junior Seau, this one's for you. Do you want to know a fun fact? Sure. Uh, somehow Mr. Retired Lowell Cohn uh-huh. has decided to take issue with how the broadcasters from the Warriors, who I'm drawing a blank on their names. Bob Fitzgerald and, uh, 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 yes. I think they do a wonderful job. I also think they do a good job. Uh, what the fuck is his goddamn name? Uh, but yes, I know. Yes. So... They don't like how they refer to Kevin Durant as KD. They don't like how they call Curry Steph. They don't. He doesn't like the name calling. And someone beat me to the punch, but I was going to be like, you mean like when you call Shanahan a little Shanny? He just says, he goes, it's not good journalism. It's not respectful. It's not... Uh, you know, it's 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 just it's just so somebody responded with the little shanty thing. Right. I, he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, you were you you berate people. He's like, you ber- you berate people constantly with your nicknames. And I'm like, so then I added on to that guy's comment and I go, it's very professional, much like falling back to Twitter when you're at the game asking for quarterback injury updates. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. We man. haven't gotten blocked yet. So that's, that's a, good a, good, one. a good start. So that's crazy. That's crazy. I actually, I give, uh, <laughs> I give the warrior announcers Jim Barnett, Bob Fitzgerald. I give them some credit. I watched the uh, recent poop fest that was the Warriors at home against the Clippers with no Curry and and no Clay Thompson. Um, 
and Lou Williams went for 50 in the game. He scored 27 in the third quarter. And Bob Fitzgerald was all but standing on the freaking sideline table, yelling at the, the court, put a second guy on him. Just double team and he's the only one that's going to shout. Like, just, it was so funny. And it, like, at the time, I didn't think it was funny because I was really frustrated that the, like, the Warriors, even without Curry and Thompson, should have just rolled these dudes at home. Right. And they didn't do it. You know, and that's it's a it's part of a weird trend for the Warriors so far this season. But it was really funny just to listen to Fitzgerald like loses mind and like it. try to maintain his you know usual composure. Yeah, it was pretty good, pretty good. So, uh, all right, so we got a couple things that I want to throw out here to you. We move along here into the new year, the new sports year. Um, one of the big stories that. Uh, is a little tired. I'll be the first one to admit it. The, I, I I acknowledge that I get tired of seeing this dude's face or hearing this dude's voice, but I have an angle that I I want to kind of throw out to you, uh, and I want to get get your feedback on this. Um, if you're not familiar with is who it I'm, Tim Kawi? No, it is not. <laughs> who actually I think has gotten a lot better since he's been with the Athletic. If you get a chance to uh, subscribe to the Athletic, I highly recommend it. The content that they're putting out is phenomenal. Um, it's like the Mer- smug for me. It's like the Mercury News and the Chronicle all mashed into one. Back when they were both great, nice. Uh, athletic is great. In any case, uh, if you're not, if you already haven't picked up with who I'm talking about, one Mr. Lavar Ball, the big baller brand, uh, was in. You know, he's continually or continuously in the headlines on Sports Center and the newspaper and Yahoo Sports, whatever, because um, he doesn't shut his mouth. Um, and he gets people to buy magazines and download and click articles and yeah exactly he is a he is a, a pr nightmare but he's also gold for, in that aspect right he's a he's a nightmare for the franchise he's a imagine for his kids too he's a dream come true for uh you know for uh you know the media outlets espn beat writers yeah exactly well how okay so if you if you're not if you don't know the story where have you been? But basically, he, this guy, LeVar Ball, his son Lonzo is a is a player. He's a good player. Um, was great at UCLA. He had got off to a weird start with the Lakers so far this year. He's I had been, no idea he even played basketball. <laughs> he, he's got a, a similar... covered everything but that. Right. He's got a similar stat line to like Jason Kidd's rookie year, which is pretty remarkable pretty comparison. Yeah. Uh, but, you know... Here in the last, you know, number of weeks, Lavar's come out and said that Luke Walton has lost the team. Nobody wants to play for him. Uh, he's he didn't like the way that uh, UCLA handled his old or his middle son shoplifting in China, and so he he didn't like the fact that he had to sit out for a while. So he took him, he pulled him off the team. He pulled his youngest son out of his high school and is homeschooling him to get him ready for the NBA, right. and has taken them, and now they're playing professionally in Lithuania. Right. Um, And everybody, you know, everybody has like a, you know, an opinion on whether or not he's a good father, whether or not he should shut his mouth, Um, you know, as you know, as both as we as fathers, we both have sons. They're playing basketball now. They're playing sports in general. Right. Um, You know, you see kind of where um, Parents can get upset with coaches and they want the best for their kids and their sons. Where is the lesson? You know, it, it feels very much to me like, you know, on the outside, it just feels like a parent that thinks they know better. But I'm going to throw out a little comparison. I just want to get your feedback for this. Okay. Um, do you remember uh, back when we were kids, the ABC made for TV movie about the Jackson 5 came out? Yes, I'm just thankful you didn't talk about the uh, SAT tests. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do remember the t- the movie. Remember what kind of came out after that? Uh, Michael Jackson came on to, I, I it was either like 60 Minutes or it was, you know, Dateline or something like that. He came on and he talked about how, uh, you know, about how strict and how rough his father was. And he thanks him, like all that discipline and all that uh you know, how rough and abusive he was helped keep Michael disciplined and maintain his own focus. Right. He's thankful for that. But then he kind of ended up 
being a fucking weirdo. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, As the Dave Chappelle joke mentions, you want you want to hit him hard enough to where he big puts Thriller out. Oh, that's but, a that's a um, uh, Daniel Tosh joke. Is it? To- oh, it is Tosh. Yeah, you. Well, you want you want him to hit him so hard that he has the creative angst to cre- to make <laughs> write thriller. A thriller album, but not so much that he fucks, fucks kids. kids. Oh God. Um. So, so I started to do a little like I started to listen to Levar Ball run his mouth a little bit a couple weeks ago. And I started to think like the way he's handled this thing with Lithuania and the boys and like the way he's sort of creating this brand of himself as, you know, big baller brand and all this other stuff, which by the way, did you see recently that the better business bureau gave them uh, an F yep. pretty classic. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> big baller. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Joe Jackson is Michael Jackson and obviously Tito and Jermaine and all these guys. It's it's he's the father of all the kids involved in the Jackson Five. Don't right? forget Sassy Janet. Right. Uh, so he got them signed to their first pro co- their first pro deal um, with a company called Steel Town, um, and then they eventually ended up getting a bigger deal with Motown. Right. And Joe Jackson didn't really like the fact that Motown was taking over as managers of uh, the group. Uh, And then so Jackson relocates the family to California and supervises every recording session they have with Motown. This is Motown records. Right. Right. Every single one. He goes, he wants to sit in. Launched guys like. B.B. King. Yeah, The Temptations, yeah. Marvin Gaye. They yeah, might have a little experience. Yeah. Um, so then uh, they go on, they record some, they release some records. They At one point, they they release the song, I'll Be There. It sells 10 million copies in 10 months, right? Um, it's crazy. And then in 1973, after they've had all of this, uh, they've had all of this success, he wants to reassert his role of control uh, and has a lot of the kids, including Latoya and Janet, perform at casinos in Las Vegas, and sort of following in the footsteps of like the Osmonds. Right. So he takes these kids that are already successful, doesn't like the way that they're being successful with Motown, and is now changing the focus on a lot of those things. Uh, also opened his own record label using the uh popularity of his own children to launch his own record label uh, and then which he manages and he tries to sign some artists um, and, you know, they're producing their own, you know, try to get their songs uh, produced and whatnot. Eventually it comes out like he's really exerted his will over his kids and you end up with a lot of really screwed up kids. Unfortunately, you get great art and great music, but it, there's like a really negative yeah, effect. At here. what cost, right? Are you picking up the line that I'm drawing here? Yes, I am. Are you, when you watch this stuff, are you at all concerned or does it even, has it even crossed your mind? Or as you, you hear me describe this, do you suddenly feel like maybe one of these three ball kids or maybe all three of them are kind of tragic figures in a way? I, I, I feel nothing but pity for them. Cause here's the thing. I couldn't even tell you what Lonzo balls. I'm sorry. What, uh, LeVar. LeVar Ball, thank you. I couldn't even tell you what his voice sounds like. Because that dude don't speak. Dad does all the talking for him. Oh, you're yeah, you're talking about Lonzo. Yeah. Yeah. His, yeah, well, I'm saying, like, I don't know. I you, didn't. You don't know what Lonzo's voice sounds like. Right. Got it. So I feel, I feel nothing but pity for those kids. The dad is clearly, in my opinion, living out his life through living vicariously through his children. The upside to something like this versus the record industry, upside, you can look at it as upside or downside. Generally speaking, these contracts, or at least the the current contract, who knows about his two other kids, uh, that money is up. So he gets a lot of guaranteed dollars. It's not all, you know, it's not based upon record sales, which obviously we kept driving the force. He could have literally, you know, got the contract and sat back and shut up and let him speak for himself and do his own thing. He, he could have still done the big baller brand. He could still have done all that stuff. But just not, you know, 
don't uh, bastardize the team or the coach or get in the middle of any of that stuff. But he's just he's just too he's too caught up with wanting to this be his life. It's is what it looks like. It's so it's crazy to me. You know, he knows that he has a platform now. I, I, you know who else I feel feel badly for is the poor fucker that they sent out from ESPN to have to go out to Lithuania to watch these games where they have to, like, clear chickens off the court and, like, the guys are smoking cigarettes mid-game, you know, right. like the players are. I mean, these, this, the fucking, the youngest is 15. LaMelo, he's 15 years old. And there's, he's playing professionally in Lithuania. Like... That's, it, and talk about like setting up your kids so that they never had to take responsibility for anything. You basically said, yeah, you don't have to sit out. You, you're playing at, you know, UCLA, John Wooden's UCLA, you know, however many national championships they won. This is like one of the storied universities for, for basketball ever. And you don't feel like you feel like you're bigger than that. You, right. You don't have to take accountability for shoplifting in China where like they want nothing more than to make a like an example out of an American. Oh, shot exactly. You know, and the he you know he gets into the thing with Donald Trump and all that, and that that's something else entirely, right? Because it's one blowhard with another, I would say. But you know, getting back to it, you know, I just I wonder now. Let me put it, put yourself in the Lakers. You're Magic Johnson. You're Rob Palenka. You're Genie Bus. You're in like the you know the leadership car the think tank on the the lakers train you know wh- like where's your head at with all of this like what you know what do you f- how do you feel about those guys or what do you feel for them i feel like they're not taking an active enough role to tell them to shut up well they did the thing where they said you know friends and family of the players cannot be interviewed after the game if you you know you cannot be interviewed in Right. Conjunction with the game. So they kind of did a little bit of that. That's a that is such a weak approach to avoid controversy, avoid conflict with them. They need to take a more aggressive route. That's all he understands. That's how he speaks to people. That's how he listens is he only understands aggression. And it's it's one of those things where, you know, we kind of tease magic for his tweets. We <laughs> He's gotten much, know, much better though. He has. But at the end of the day, like he, you know, this is now, he's the director of operations, is he not? Yeah, yeah. This, is, this falls on in his lap and if he can't aggressively handle the situation, I would, you know, hey, I would, you know, you have the one-on-one talk and say, if you can't, if your dad doesn't knock this off, he is not coming to games. Yeah. You will continue to sit. He will affect your play. I can't believe they didn't do that already. I know. I think if you know, I think it's partly because it's Luke Walton as a coach, first time head coaching. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's a, you know, it's a second year, second year, but it's it's you know, one of those things where he's under a lot of pressure just because it's the Los Angeles Lakers, the Lakers. It's yeah, it's uh, just, but it's one of those things where you get you get another like, how, think what would Phil Jackson do in this situation? How would he handle it? I just think, <laughs> I don't think there's a precedent for this. You know who deals with this? Usually agents. Fucking Windsor, Windsor Baptist Junior League coaches. Like, you know, or fucking high school coaches. Yeah, this is a like, high school game. This AAU is cool. coaches deal with this shit. Like, right. the, the, Alonzo's is... getting paid millions of dollars to play hoops. Luke Walton is getting paid millions of dollars. To coach. Like, this is a professional thing, man. This like, is a business. This is, this, a, is a, this is a fucking business. But that's the problem is that this is the high school. Remember, I mean, this happened a lot when, when I don't know about your school, but my school. My son should be starting. If he's not, whether it's football, basketball, whatever, if he's not, they threatened to pull him from that school and take him to another school. To which is, you know, that I'm going to bring him from this school and shove it up your ass kind of thing. Like, I never was privy to those conversations, but I know it happened. We had a couple of standout football guys. Um, and it's one of those things like this is a high school play. This is a high school move. And it's it's pathetic. It's crazy. You know, and like I wonder sometimes if, you know, if dad knows, like recognizes that this is all kind of a joke. Because you'll hear him say things like, oh, yeah, no, ne-, like, you know, by the end of this decade, it's going to be, you know, Lonzo and Julius Randle and Paul George and LeBron and and 
somebody else and LaMelo and LiAngelo. Like, that's just what it's going to be. It'll be these guys, you know, like, it, that's just who's going to be on the team. Like, he says silly things like that, like, like because he's a super Laker fan. It's kind of his deal, right? Right. And he still holds on to this, like, you know, that used to be back in, like, the 80s and 90s that, like, L.A. had all of this you know, pull with free agents because of what the market offered and it was the Lakers and the glamour and this and, and you're that. living in L.A. Yeah, but that doesn't really exist anymore because the money is everywhere. You know, the social media makes everybody accessible. Right. You know, it might work if you're choosing between like Milwaukee and L.A. Or <laughs> like say Cleveland. Yeah, or like Take LeBron oh, out of that equation. Yeah. Did you try to move to Cleveland? Yeah, or, exactly. Or Indiana and L.A. maybe. Right. But even then, Indiana has the history as a basketball state. You know, that's a whole other conversation. I just don't think that the Lakers have the pull like they used to. Um, you know, and that's just like classic Laker fan thinking. So I, I just sometimes I feel like he knows that it's a big joke. And that makes me feel that I'm, I'm almost more annoyed by that, because if he thinks it's a big joke, like why, it's almost like the whole thing is a spoof. It's like watching like Anchorman. Like, you know, right. you just know that the whole thing is a joke here. But then you feel like. At some point, the other shoe is going to drop, and Luke Walton is a good coach. That team is poorly put together. A lot of the draft picks have not panned out. I think Lonzo Ball, Julius Randle has taken on his. Their best players are Randall, Kuzma, and Ball. The rest of that team is garbage, and I know that they think that they have something with uh, Ford that everyone thinks is like KD Light. Anyway, um, you know, I they have some, they have a few pieces, but for the most part, like they have not progressed the way that they had hoped, and they do a lot. They have some really bad habits. I think Luke Walton is a good coach. I think he's not going to end up seeing this through because I think that they, the way that the Lakers came out with Lonzo and said, "We want to see your name up in the rafters. We think you're going to be one of the greats. You're bringing Showtime back. You're doing all that stuff." They've hitched their wagon to Lonzo Ball. Right. And unfortunately, that means that they got to put up with some of dad uh, because this is a weird line to draw, but I can remember with the Warriors in 93, they started out 7-2. and two. They had Don Nelson as the coach. They had made – or no, I'm sorry, 95. They had started – they had made the uh, playoffs the year before. Uh, they started out 7-2. and two. Chris Webber's holding out because he doesn't like Don Nelson. The Warriors had gone out and gotten a center to play with Chris Webber, so he didn't have to do it anymore. He held out. He didn't want to play. And he, he didn't want to play. He said, I'm not going to play for you unless you fire Don Nelson. So they uh, trade Chris Webber and then fire Don Nelson anyway. <laughs> it's like that's what's going to end up happening. They're going to fire. They're going to fire Luke Walton here. And right. then what's going to end up happening, I think, you know, because there's not like just another. You know, there's like great coaches aren't just laying around like maybe David Fisdale, if who got fired in Memphis this year for no good reason. Maybe Fisdale, but I just don't see a guy coming in that can just take them to the next level with the group of talent that they have. So they're going to end up firing Luke Walton, who's a good coach. He'll have success someplace else. And then Lonzo isn't good enough to make everybody else around him better. So the analogy with Jason Kidd is going to stay the same. He's going to be, you know, Dallas, Phoenix, New Jersey, yeah. you know, all these places, to, you know. And so I think you're going to see a lot of the same thing. Lonzo will be a great player. He's going to have a good career. Uh, you know, it and unless something shakes out here, uh, it's probably not going to end up being with the Lakers in the long run, I don't think. Um, and I think that's the saddest part about all of this is that because he gets a lot of hate because his dad doesn't shut up, it's putting a lot of pressure on a coach who probably doesn't deserve it yet. It's not like they gave him LeBron, Paul, George, and all these guys. Right. They gave him a bunch of garbage for the most part. You know, but it's a lot of pressure on a lot of people, and I just think that that's really an unfair thing. You know, I don't blame the media. They should be able to talk to whoever they want to. Uh, but I don't blame a lot of these coaches for being angry with them either. No, but like to Kerr's point, you know they're spending dollar, they're firing quality writers to fund, but yet they're sending people over to Lithuania to cover. That is such a. I'm glad you brought that up just to set a little bit of the the uh, table for that. Um, if you aren't aware, Steve Kerr basically said that, you know. Uh, he's not mad at the media for doing it. You know, Rick Carlisle, coach of the Mavericks, kind of came out and said that he was upset with the media for even giving this guy a voice. And Steve Kirk came out and said he's not mad at the media for doing it. He's mad that this is just where we're at these days. It's just part of the deal. He said, you know, uh, ESPN is firing great writers, and he listed Ethan Strauss, who was the warrior guy for them for a long time, um, listed him specifically. But he listed a couple of guys and then said, but then they're going to fly – I can't, I don't know the guy's name, but they're going to fly him out to go watch them play Lithuanian basketball. Like, 
like this is what is considered good content now. He goes, that's just kind of where we're at, and that's the saddest part about all this. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, one of the things that always comes up is, you know, is LeVar Ball really the the uh, the villain or the hero in any of this? And I don't think that he's either one. He's just a voice in all of it. And the villain or the hero is yet to play out because, like I said, he's putting an awful lot of pressure on somebody. Yeah. It's either his, his boy or Luke Walton or Magic Johnson or Palinka. Because could you imagine what it's going to be like in L.A. if it doesn't work out? And they end up, you know, getting in a situation where balls, ball doesn't, he hits a ceiling, he doesn't get any better. Or they yeah. have to trade him because they have. It's a reality. It's, it's you're, you know, unfortunately now there are more, I, I feel like there are more busts in professional sports than there are, you know, you're not a guaranteed star necessarily. Does that make sense? Like it, it like I'm talking about, like, think about, <clears throat> I guess think of like the last 10 you know, top draft picks for the NBA NBA. I mean, I would, I was more leaning towards NFL, but it's one of those things where it's not always a guarantee anymore where it used to be. You kind of, you'd step up on a stage and I feel like there's a lot more pressure and a lot more money being thrown out. And I feel like there's a little bit more, more likely there's guys are going to bust. Well, it's interesting. Uh, That's actually, that's an interesting take. I, I, the NBA is a bad example of that because so many guys come out so young. They're underdeveloped. So it takes a while for these. You don't see the LeBron James come out and no. dominate from the beginning. It just doesn't happen. You know, even this year's rookie class, like you look at all these dudes, like the number one pick, you know, the number one pick hasn't even played for Philadelphia yet, right? And Jason Tatum has been a good player, but he's not going to be an all-star, right? And so he's not a bust, but like it does, it certainly doesn't, it's either it's either first year like it feels like a, a buster, or it's relatively unremarkable. There just haven't been a lot of guys that just come in and dominate from the jump. Right. The NFL, I would say, hearing your point about that, I would say that it feels like there are more busts because the first round is so much more fanfare now. It's on oh, yeah. Thursday night. It's you know it's such a big show, right? They want to see, you know. Uh, you know, they want to see like the Trubisky, you know, they want to see the, the quarterbacks all get taken. They love the Aaron Rodgers fall into 25th. They love all of that kind of stuff. Um, and so when that kind of stuff happens, you know, uh, when that kind of stuff happens, it feels exciting. And then when you get that guy drafted, that was such a big deal on that draft night. When he doesn't show up and dominate, it does feel like there's a bust there. Right. But I would say Chicago doesn't feel like Trubisky's a bust. You know, no. like they didn't particularly block for him very well. I mean, we're going to get into a whole other thing here, but you know, I would. It's the great teams don't care about what the fanfare is on that particular day, right? They just they draft. Like my hope is that the four Denners draft a guard, right? Like that's the least sexy position they could draft there, outside yeah. of you know for a first round pick. Like that's the least sexy thing out there, and people will uh, say, "I see that," and I raise you a kicker. Is generally the least sexiest. Yeah, on the first round, it, uh, yeah, maybe the juiciest. <laughs> if you drop a kicker <laughs> in the first round, oh man. So you know, I, I guess just getting back to like the original point here is, uh, I look at this situation and I, I don't think that the villain or the hero has truly played out yet. And I, as a father, I look at that situation and I truly, I feel bad, you know, for the boys. For the kids, you know, they, you know, Lonzo ripped Luke Walton said that the he had lost control of the team the other day and they asked Lonzo and Lonzo basically gave like a non-answer, right? Yeah. And people kind of killed him for it, right? What the fuck is he supposed to do? He's supposed to kill his dad publicly? Right. He just get out and just, just murder his dad? Like the guy that like has pushed his way around through all the AAU leagues and got him to the high school he wanted and to UCLA like the guy that got, I mean, he got there on his own play. If he was garbage, having a loudmouth dad doesn't get you anywhere. Right. Right. But, it, but him being that good, it didn't hurt having his dad on his side. So it, he's not going to kill him there. And that, I think that's unfair because now he's dealing with a lot of criticism that he probably doesn't really deserve. Because how is a 19 or 20 year old supposed to know how to handle such a thing? No, <laughs> he's, he's not. He is not. Kids, he's a child still. I know. He's a billionaire child. Yeah. Uh, millionaire still 
yeah, it's crazy. Crazy. So hopefully, you know, the, I only bring up the Jackson 5 thing just because I want to point out, like, how tragic these things ultimately can be. You know, the guy is playing pro basketball now, and a lot of people say, oh, I don't feel bad for him. He's making a million dollars to play a game. But how did we get to this point? That's the part that feels kind of sad to well, me. Well, not only that, but also, too, like, I don't care who you are. If you're a CEO, you play professional sports. Yeah, of course, having money solves some problems. But if you go to work and you start dreading your job, because of the people around you or your father. Imagine if you went to work every day and your dad was in yelling at people <laughs> at your current job. Dude, it's so funny that you say that. David Thorpe, who I love, was on the uh, Basketball Friends podcast the other day. Yeah. And he did the exact same thing. He goes, could you imagine being a top flight engineer for Microsoft and your dad comes in and starts yelling at your boss because <laughs> of the way he treats you? Oh, man. Yeah, I and mean, that's, that's the thing is, like, it doesn't matter where you work. As soon as you begin to disdain your work and not like it and not love it anymore no matter what the pay scale is uh it's 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 hard to bear hard to bear so i don't know tough times man tough times let's uh let's take a quick second here we'll uh regroup we'll come back i will be back in 30 seconds sports meets beer podcast is brought to you by advanced auto glass and detail Advanced Auto Glass and Detail is committed to providing you with the highest quality premium glass products and a professional installation by certified technicians. They are experienced in every aspect of glass replacement or repair, offering factory replacement or a premium aftermarket upgrade. They even deal with those annoying windshield rock chips that show up out of nowhere. They offer free local mobile service and offer a full warranty on all workmanship for as long as you own your vehicle. And across the street at Advanced Detail, they specialize in cars, trucks, vans, RVs, boats, show cars, trailers, and more. They are a full-service auto detailing shop, offering exterior wash, polish and wax, interior vacuum, shampoo, trim detail, and even smoke and odor removal. Water spot and scratch removal, paintless dent repair, it's all available at Advanced Auto Glass and Detail. Advanced Auto Glass, look for the purple building at 2460 Santa Rosa Avenue. And right across the street is Advanced Auto Detail at 2549 Santa Rosa Avenue. Advanced Auto Glass, 707-526-5700. Advanced Auto Detail, 707-526-2200. Let Advanced Auto Glass and Detail take care of all of your automotive needs. We're back! <laughs> this enormous <laughs> table. Uh, yeah. We will definitely put a picture of this on our uh, social media. Which, by the way, if you haven't uh, clicked on in a while, check us out. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Untapped. We've got them all. We do have them all. Sportsmeetsbeardgmail.com. Hit us up. Let us know what's going down. Our a- our AOL Instant Messenger account is, you know, has obviously since been shut down, so don't wor- worry about reaching out to us on that. Right. right. Uh, NFL season, mid-playoffs. We don't want to talk too much about the playoffs at the moment because we have other things as uh, Bay Area football fans. We have other things to kind of discuss. If you have a chance to look up here recently on the NFL Network or ESPN or any of the other sort of major sports networks, you will have noticed that there's some discussion about the Bay Area moving into next year, potentially being the center of the football universe, Um, which if you followed the Bay Area football scene for the last – I don't know, five years, that has definitely not been the case. (laughs) So it feels surreal to even hear that. Uh, If you've been living under a rock, the Raiders have uh, announced that John Gruden is the new head coach. Uh, The 49ers made the trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, who uh, had them win six of seven down the stretch. Um, And, uh, well, he had them win five of six on the stretch. But, uh, no, actually, they won five in a row. With him at the court as the quarterback, they lost that that uh, Seattle game, but he he right. was only in for the last two plays. Um, you know they have a bunch of draft picks to play with. Uh, you know, so there's, you know, I would say that they got to this point through different paths. Uh, one six and ten record looks a lot different than the other six and ten record, but they are at the same point nonetheless. Uh, they are six and ten with either the ninth or the tenth pick, which will be decided by a coin flip uh, going into the 2018 NFL draft. Uh, and you know, there's uh, a lot to look forward to for both teams. I would say, Ben, the what's the? Give me a couple of things that you are, you know, looking forward to. You know, looking forward to for your Oakland Raiders as we move forward here. 
yeah, and there's obviously a lot of storylines. Um, just in the you know the the football season even isn't even over. You know the pulse of regular season is still there. Um, and quite honestly, my number one thing is I want to see John Gruden Gruden earn his salary. <laughs> right, and that's it's the most audacious. That is a tall order, man. Right. I I mean you know okay the you can talk about uh, the culture change. Uh, you can talk about that, and Del Rio did help that, but he also let us slip through his fingers, in my humble opinion. Uh, at the same time, I think that Gruden's, uh, just his natural um, charisma, his dedication to watching film and breaking down film, and that's that's the kind of the part where I kind of roll my eyes when everyone says, oh, he hasn't coached a team in this long. It's a real thing, but they're, they're saying, oh, well, maybe the game's passed him up. And I'm like, you know, for someone who grinds on film every day, uh, I don't think the game has passed him up. I still feel like he's relevant, though, just being involved and around the league. This is not another Art Shell. I don't <laughs> think Art Shell had the same. I mean, that was a long time as well. Yeah, good gracious. Um and that was a PR move too. Now, you know, is this a shameless PR move? Absolutely. But I want to just see. I want to see what he's going to do uh, going into the season. You know, it's a bit of a unknown. Everyone was so confident in 2017 that the Raiders were going to do a, a lot of things. Obviously, it didn't happen for a number of reasons. Um, so I want to make sure. A, I want to see him take the stage as I know he will. And earn his salary. Make it make us believe that it was a good investment. Uh, number two, I want to see. I want to see the development of the running game. If Lynch is going to come back, because I don't know how strict you, how strict Pete Carroll was up in Seattle. Uh, but at the same time, like Marshawn doesn't do well with that situation. And do they can they fend without him? Do are they better off just keeping with Richard and Washington? I don't know. Um, so that to me is the next the next uh, scenario. Uh, and then you know the third thing is what are they going to do with defense? <laughs> I'm, I'm they, they, you can't not address it again. How long? No matter, no matter how much of a of an offensive guru he may be, without a better upgraded defense, you will be nothing. But didn't the Raiders draft a corner in the first round last year? Yes, we'll see. And if didn't he's... they draft? Didn't they? Didn't they draft? Yeah, but he went on. He's played one game. Yeah, I know. But my point is, is that like they've they've made. It's not like they just completely ignored it. They've made defensive. No, no, they've they've made signings some and moves. drafts. Yeah, right. They signed Sean uh, Sean Smith, right? Right. And uh, who played Servant as the minute that uh, Norton left? Um, they gave up five hundred yards to the Chargers, man. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> but it's, but I'm saying that it's, the minute he left, Smith played better. Yeah, he became he did become a, in his last five or six games he was a shutdown side. They didn't throw to him. He was better, better coverage. He got scorched once on a play, gave up some points. Um, you know, I was, just think McKenzie. You know, he worked with you know he and Gruden go back a ways when Gruden was on the staff there. Uh, they know each other. There's going to be some symbiosis in their relationship uh, about, you know, adding personnel. Um, you know, I, I think a lot was made of Ken Norton and what he did or did not do. I think he was sort of the fall guy for what an ultimately defensive-minded head coach also allowed. And also what McKenzie, who is a defensive guy, Supposed to, that's supposed to be like his expertise. His forte, yes. You know, and like he's drafted Khalil Mack. Uh, and, um, that's it. You know. For you. And, and it's not like he found like Khalil Mack in like the third round. Like he drafted like the consensus number five guy or whatever it was, right? Like that was the guy that was supposed to get drafted at that point. You know, if I'm, the, if I'm a Raider fan, you know, I think – I think the John Gruden signing makes a lot of sense from a PR standpoint. Right. It's a we like it's a throwback to, you know, to like, you know, the glory the lasser of glory time of Oakland Raiderhood, as it were. Um, you know, and I think that Derek Carr reminds me a lot of Rich Gannon in terms of style of play, and I think Gruden has shown that he can um he he can work with a guy like that. And I think that, you know, they've got some you know, you love Seth Roberts, and I wonder. I I don't. They're not bringing Crabtree back. I, I know they're not. Um, I wonder what they're going to do with Cooper. 
you know, there's some pieces there that Gruden can clearly work with. It's not so much the like, it's not the film that I'm necessarily concerned about. It's just the coaching style. Uh, you know, he won, he got traded from Oakland to Tampa because he wasn't getting along with Al Davis. Right. And then he won with Tony Dungy's team against his old team and then never won another playoff game. Right. With Tampa. And when they won the Super Bowl, they had one of the best pass defenses in 25 years, probably. Um, they were awesome. And so I'm concerned, like when he got run out of Tampa, there was some concern with some of the quarterbacks and players there that they didn't like the, his approach with the players. Sort of smarmy and sarcastic and really just let you have it consistently, especially if he thought that you were better than you were playing, which, you know, you want a guy that expects more out of you, but you're, the approach can't always hold up. Um, I think You mean he, a little bit of a cheerleader? This reminds me a lot of the conversation about Harbaugh, too, where it's just like eventually the players get tired of his shtick. Well, yeah, it is. Yes, it's similar in that, like, it's got a shelf life. But I think the difference is that, like, uh, apparently, if you listen to, like, I mean, Keyshawn Johnson's probably a bad example. But, like, if you listen to some of these guys I mean, that were Keyshawn in. Keyshawn hated each other. I know, but that's what I mean. He's probably a bad example. But, like, if you listen to some of these guys, if they, you know, listen to them talk about his coaching style, he's very sarcastic. He's very, He just lets you have it. He just, you know, it's not like a you're better than this type of moment. It's like. What the fuck are you doing? Like, you know, did you just not see the guy in the flat that you should have been hitting? Like, it's not like this. Hey, we have to be better. It's not we should be better about identifying the routes. It's did you just not see him or do you just not care? Like, it's that kind of approach. Right. Um, that's an old school type of approach. And I don't know how much weight it carries moving forward. And the reality is he's probably learned from that. So I don't know if that means anything. You know, the only guy that went longer in between or the only guy that's gone as close or as long as. Um, Gruden has here is Dick Vermeil. Yeah. And, uh, Vermeil was with Philadelphia, came back, and he was awful in his first two seasons with the Rams. And then Kurt Warner started in the third season, and they went on to win Super Bowls with Mike Martz. And, you know, and, you know, they had good defenses, and they had Torrey Holt, and they had Marshall Falk, and they, you know, they had some things happen. Um, you know, is McKenzie able to pull off some of the moves that the Rams were able to pull off? Um, you know, at that time, I, I don't know. I don't know if he will. If I, like I said, if I'm a Raider fan, I'm excited because I know that Derek Carr is the type of player that can thrive in a John Gruden system. Uh, if I'm being a realist as a football fan in general, 10 years is a really long time. Oh, it's obscene. And if I don't know the wording of the contract, I haven't seen it. So I can't I tell you. I wonder when that's going to come out. I can't, I don't know, man. And I I, if I'm they're the Raiders, gonna, they're gonna play the hold of their chest for a while. Uh, if it was a deal that made sense, then they would have already released the terms of the deal. That's what I think. I agree. Because what happens when they get to Vegas and the Raiders have been eight and eight or worse every year since he took over? Uh, it means they have to pay for a contract for a long time, just like they're paying for Del Rio's. He's got two more years. I know that they're paying him. But what I mean, Del Rio's contract is what for five million. Yeah, you have ten million dollars a year. It's actually more by the time he gets to Vegas. The way it's contract or the way it's structured, he makes more money in the, in the eight la- yeah. remaining years that you of know course. year would, to year because of the, you don't the, pay state taxes. The taxes exactly. Yeah. So from the you know, it's a big gamble, man. I get it, and you know. You've done an awful lot of things to alienate a fan base, and so you need to do some things to keep them excited. And there's no denying that Gruden is a great X's and O's guy. There's no denying that he knows the game. But he's been in the booth away from it for an awfully long time. And so it does... Have they announced all of the coordinators yet? No. So in any case, I think it's an exciting time for the Raiders because it's it, there is some, you know, there is... You know, you can look literally look across the bay and see, oh, here's the guy that just came out of the broadcasting booth and has made a, a difference, <laughs> right? You right. look at John Lynch. The roles are very different, though. Um, and so I just, you know, John Lynch isn't in the locker room and on the practice field every single day having to relate to these guys. Um, you know, but I, I think, you know, I think it's, Look what it's done. It's energized a fan base that had every reason to be pissed after this year. I mean, like it's, you know, a tale of two cities really. It's two six and ten records and one fan base 
was excited at the end of the season and one was pissed at the end of the season, but the records are the same. Right. You know, and so I think that if you're, you know, if you're Mr. Davis Jr., you got to do something to make, to excite people. And I think this works. And I do think, you know, if the system holds up, I think that Derek Hart can really thrive underneath that system. It's just whether my concern is not uh, that the X's and O's are going to be a problem. It's his relatability with the players. That would be my big concern. Right. Um, if I uh, so Greg Olson has experienced coaching Carr one year previously. Um, and he's coached. Uh, he coached with Tampa in Tampa Bay and uh, with Sean McVay. So who's another one of his coordinators? Yeah. Um, they have uh, Rich Pisaka, which is the special teams coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Paul Gunther is going to be their offensive. Um, I can't be right. Defensive coordinator, yes. I believe. So um, I, it, I'm also curious to see what the other coordinators he brings in. Uh, if you watched the national title game and didn't watch uh, the uh, linebacker for Georgia, or if you watched it and watched that guy and didn't immediately get a boner as a Raider fan, then you weren't really paying attention. Uh, Roquan Smith is an absolute beast, and he would look great in the silver and black. In silver and black, he would look great in silver and black. Um, you know, as a if as a, a Raider fan, I, that's I would want them to draft uh, in the middle of the field, in the trenches, on both sides of the ball. Right. Get me, you know. Get me somebody that can catch balls over the middle of the field, right? Like, you know, somebody that's like a slot type receiver or a receiver or a running back that can really catch the ball out of the backfield. Um, get me a middle linebacker that can cover. Get me a middle linebacker that can run sideline to sideline. Get me safeties. You know, that would be that's be, that would be where I would start. Um, and I think that's the way that they're ultimately going to go. You know, hopefully, you know what it might be interesting too is you know McKenzie. By having John Gruden join the staff, McKenzie might actually get a better set of eyes in the room on some of this college tape. I yeah, you know, so that uh, you know that it could be that symbiosis might mean more here than it did with Del Rio, um, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I would be excited if I you know I would be excited if I were the Raiders going into the season next year. Are the Chiefs going to be appreciably better than this year? I would argue they're going to be worse. Do you think Mahomes is going to be able to? control games the way that Alex Smith does because no. I got news for you. Alex Smith is not going to be the, the quarterback for the Chiefs next year I see a 5% chance that he comes back Do you think he goes to Arizona I don't know where he goes but it's a salary cap move for them they've got a quarterback they think can do it they need they have a whole bunch of holes to fill and paying 17 million dollars to a guy that's not that's a good quarterback but isn't a game changer uh, where you could get two game changers for that price somewhere else on the field yeah um, I just don't see them keeping Alex Smith around. And so I don't think the Chargers are going to, or I don't think the Chiefs are going to be better. The Chargers probably are who they are, and I think that the Broncos are going to be worse. So, you know, you're right. You're back to being one of the top two teams in the league as it stands. By default. By default. Or <laughs> top two teams in the conference. Uh, division. Whatever. I'll get there. I'll get there, guys. Just stay with me. <laughs> um, You know, as for the Niners. Very exciting. They were 0-9, and, and then they were 6-10. and 10. Uh, you know, I think you saw why Kyle Shanahan is such an offensive-minded guy. Uh, you saw them do things week to week. Uh, they ran against Jacksonville. They did this thing where they would run this like fake jet sweep. They would put Marquise Goodwin in full blast motion, mm-hmm. and they would s- snap the ball right as he's getting behind Garoppolo, and they would fake the handoff, and then they'd roll Garoppolo out, and it would freeze everybody on the line, and it would release the tight end, and Garoppolo could just make throw after throw into the flat and just just a bunch of little nicks and cuts right against a good Jacksonville defense. The following week, they played the Rams. They ran that fa- that same fake jet sweep, and they handed it off to Goodwin on the first play, and they fro- they they didn't bite on the motion. They stayed there, and then guess what? Goodwin breaks for like 20 yards. They spent an entire game <laughs> setting up the next team. It's not like they you saw a situation where Shanahan doesn't set up a new game plan based on the team they're facing. Mm-hmm. Every game plan he he builds 
is predicated on the team they're facing and what that team just watched on film. So they just watched them run all these fake jet sweep motions against the Jags. Right. And now now they're actually running the jet sweep. And then they had this cool little thing against the Rams, which is pretty funny. They they uh, ran Goodwin. They didn't run him in motion pre-snap. They set it up. As soon as the ball was snapped, he sprinted in like he was going to take the sweep. And then uh, he ran back the other way out into the flat and everybody just freaking tried to contain on the other end of the field. And he ran into the flat and Garoppolo just kind of floated it out there and nobody was around and he caught it. I mean, just everything is, I'm using that as one example right. of, you know, something that I just happened to notice. You saw sort of the offensive genius of Shanahan, what he's able to do with a guy like Garoppolo under center. Um, you know, it's pretty impressive. And you know, when as soon as, as Shanahan came on, you know, we both kind of, shared the same sentiment in that we just hope that everyone gave him time. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like Garoppolo helped him because if he, I don't think he would have gotten run, run out of town uh, if he didn't, if that trade didn't happen, but it definitely would be, everyone would have huge questions if he continued down that path of, of not winning. He, they still would have won some games. They probably win three games. Right. Right. Because you know they were, you were seeing success, you were seeing them build some success with Bethard, right? And I they beat the Giants, so it's not like they you know it's not like they absolutely crushed yeah, anybody. Yeah, not a huge upset. You know, but they they you know they beat the Giants, then they 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 got the hell beat out of them by Seattle, you know. But then they go through, and you started to see the growth in the team, and they had all those games where they lost by five points or less or three points or less. Um, you know, and they stuck with maybe they stuck with Hoyer for a little bit too long. They had some weird things like growing pain type moments throughout the season. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. I think that it 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 definitely it definitely builds people's faith in the program that Shanahan and Lynch seem to have built there. Right. Um, I want to pump the brakes on them being, you know, like being a favorite. They're a twenty to one odds for the Super Bowl, and a lot of people are talking about them being one of the top teams in the NFC. I want to pump the brakes on that. <laughs> Philadelphia is going to have a lot to say about that. New Orleans, Carolina, Atlanta will have a lot to say about that. Uh, I think that uh, the Rams will have a lot to say about that. Although if you're looking for a team to take the biggest step backwards next year, it will be the Rams. They were one of the worst teams last year. They play one of the easiest schedules this year. They're going to play a hard schedule next year because of, uh, or a harder schedule next year because of their record this year. And, I just think that they're a team that's ripe for the. They took the biggest leap forward, so they're probably a team that's going to take the. It's going to equalize. They're going to be some. They're not as good as they showed this year, and they're not nearly as bad as they showed in years previous. But, um, you know, I want to pump the brakes a little bit on the Niners. You know, the defense has some real talent on it, but they have not had a chance to stay healthy. You know, what are they going to do? Jimmy Ward is a good player, but he can't stay healthy. Jack Tart is a good player, could be a great player, big hitter, good hands, but is. He can't stay healthy either. Arm they they don't have an outside edge pass rusher. They tried to shoehorn Eric Armstead into that position, and he just he was mediocre at best at it. Solomon Thomas, who is the guy that they drafted with their first overall pick, um, was inconsistent. Showed flashes, but was really inconsistent. I think because Armstead didn't pan out and then got hurt, they he was playing at a position. Ruben Foster was an absolute beast. He's yes. going to have, but he needs to stay healthy also. Right. So, you know, the Niner defense, schematically, it's fairly simple to run. They need an edge rusher. They need a lockdown corner. And they need two guards. I cannot watch the Marx Brothers routine that is the <laughs> Niners' interior <laughs> offensive line. If you've heard us on the Danny Wright whoop, show on the whoop, river, whoop. yeah, you've heard me make that joke a number of times. It, they were, Fusco and Tomlinson were so bad. Um, but I think, you know, interior guards, uh, pass rush, lockdown corner, and then they have the ability to go out and sign somebody. Some of these guys. If I had to guess, they're going to draft wide receivers, they're going to draft uh, offensive linemen, and they're going to sign defensive players. Niner fans, they have 116 million to spend. That doesn't mean that they have to spend it all. <laughs> Don't overspend. I would love to see them sign a guy like Malcolm Butler because he comes from a championship, from a championship, you know. Uh, team. He's he was the the big hero when Seattle inexplicably threw the ball instead of ran it. He was the guy that had the interception. You know he's got that championship pedigree. He knows Garoppolo. You know he's 
he's the type of guy that is going to command big money, can really help a defense out, especially the type of scheme that the Niners run. But would you break the bank for a guy like that? Just they have the money this year. They're going to give Garoppolo an awful lot of money, I think. Right. That's going to come back to bite you in a couple of years. You need, you need, yeah, exactly. You need to hold off and not get to no. So, you know, don't you keep know. writing checks that your team can't cash. Here's the interesting thing, though. If you're the I'm going to I'm going to I I'm always the guy that just tries to stay the course. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. Don't get too excited. Don't be too much of a homer. It's kind of like I have to try and do those things. Here's an interesting thing that I saw throw out the other day. Uh, the 49ers have the most cap space in all of football. Le'Veon Bell is a free agent. Ooh, interesting. Now, I don't think that's happening because Shanahan kind of likes that he and his dad have always been able to find low-level low level, low level uh, running backs or, like, you know, quality running backs later in the draft. They've always been able to do that. I don't think they're going to throw big money at a guy like Le'Veon Bell, but those types of players are out there. So I'll be very interested to see what the Niners do with that. Um, well, and Le'Veon Bell came out today and also mentioned – that uh, if he gets tagged again, he's going to either retire or sit. Really? Yes. I didn't see that. Yeah, that was out today. So, you know, uh, the Niners, I think, you know, if they showed any, like, real, you know, sort of uh, weakness probably isn't the right term. Uh, I, I, I How about this? It was a uh, breath of fresh air for – Watching the 49ers after all the years of the Ray McDonald's, the Alden Smiths, the, um, you know, the Ahmad Brookses, the Chris Cullivers, all that stuff with all of the jurisprudence and the police blotters and all that garbage. Uh, it was nice to have them take a look at a dude like Richard Robinson and go, uh, apparently there was some kind of blow up with him and some illegal substances on an airplane, on the private plane that he wasn't supposed to have there. And there was an instance where they traded him to the Jets. They didn't even give it two thoughts. Right. And they looked at uh, Tremaine Brock, a guy who was probably their best corner last year, had a little run in with the law. They didn't even look at it. They just cut him. They want character guys. They want character guys. They want character guys. It's nice to have that be gone, not be a part of the that discussion approach. for the 49ers organization sure. anymore. That's something that I feel really good about. Because um, that was more of a Balky thing, right? I mean, that's... Balky and Harbaugh, I would say, yeah. Um I'm also that which actually is really interesting. I'm glad that the Harbaugh worship is gone. There doesn't seem to be any talk about that, and I don't know if that's because Shanahan and Lynch have really tried to have really created some more positive momentum for Niner fans, or if it's that Harbaugh has been pretty awful in big games at Michigan. I think it might be both. A little bit of both, I think. Um, but uh, you know, it'll it's it's a good time for. I'm glad that like the goofy shit is out of the narrative for the Niners. The you know, being out of the police blotter, all this talk about the stadium being garbage. Um, interestingly enough, when they started playing well, the stadium all of a sudden got really loud again. And yeah, weird. There were people in the seats. There were people in the seats, and it got really loud. Uh, Funny how that works. Yeah, so I'm glad that all that stuff's kind of out of the narrative now, and and uh, they feel like they're on the up. I, I there's gonna I put a lot of stock in how they draft this year because there's tape out there now. People know what the defense is trying to do. The defense was very good in the second half of the year. Like they didn't allow a 100-yard rusher in seven out of the last eight games. Uh, their pa- the passer rating against was pretty low. Um, you know they started to force some turnovers late. And granted, you know they got Goff's backup and they got Blake Bortles and you know Mariota and like they didn't get big powerhouse quarterbacks late in the year where they were starting to shut people down. But they definitely played better in those scenarios. Yes, like if they had gotten those same games earlier in the year. You know, they would let Mariota throw for 300 yards, no doubt. They play, they improved over the course of the season, and so that's exciting. I, there's going to be tape. I think there'll be some steps back in places where we think they're going to make, like, exponential leaps. Um, and I, I, you know, some I, I was ta- listening to somebody saying that there's, you know, looking at this, who they're playing next year, somebody said they could very easily go 13-3. and three. I, Looking at the schedule without looking at, like, the timing of the schedule, the only they only have the farthest east they go is Tampa Bay, which is pretty far east. But they only have to do that once. It's the only trip into the Eastern Time Zone, um, you know, which for a West Coast team is a pretty big deal. Right. They're not traveling to London. We found out that we found that out this morning. Uh, I have to look at the way the timeline plays out, but you know, I could very easily see them go nine and seven, ten and six would be a great year. Anything better than that, I would be. I want to say hill. shocked, but I would be over the moon excited. Right. Um. You know. It's going to be a great matchup because uh, depending on what the Oakland Raiders do, 
Oh, that's right. Yes, we play each other this year. I am very excited also that I love Smash Mouth football. I love the X's and O's of football. I just I just get off on it. I don't know if you guys can tell that or not. Uh, but as a you know, as a lo- lifelong 49er fan, you know, the legend of Bill Walsh, I quote his book with our management group all the time. Uh, the legend of Bill Walsh and his like mind for the X's and O's side of things just gives me a fucking boner. And uh, <laughs> Shanahan seems to have that. And then feeling like an offensive team again makes me feel like I'm a kid. Cause I know that they're oh, going to yeah, put, I sure. feels like they're going to put up 40 points every week. Um, and that's exciting. And it's something we haven't had in a while. So those are the th- things that I'm think leaning on the most as we move into the off season here. Was that good for you? That's great for me. All right. You talked about boners. <laughs> we had points. We had a dialogue. It was great. Uh, yeah. Uh, cool. All right. Well, uh, thank you for checking us out. Episode 55, Sports Meets Beer Podcast. Please make sure to check out our social media. Like it. Share it. Love it. Uh, that's about it. That's all I got. Anything you got, Brad? Uh, no. I'm watching LeBron James get really upset with his coaches in Cleveland right now. No way. Don't believe it. I know. It seems crazy. <laughs> That seems crazy. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Make sure you check out uh, some of our previous archived episodes and look for 55 Part 2. 